0: So, it's Christmas and we thought we'd have a Medic's Money joint Christmas party. So, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see that we're dressed in our finest festive gear. I think that is a Street Fighter oh, 2 yeah. Christmas jumper.
1: Yeah, absolutely yeah. <laughs> lovely. Absolutely.
0: Mine's charity shop special bought it yesterday. Pretty happy with it. Yeah. And as you'd expect, our Christmas party is going to be a bit different. We won't have any bad dancing. No office politics spilling over into conflict. But we will include some tax and financial saving tips that are going to help you, including how to save tax on your Christmas party, how you get taxed on any gifts that you give to staff, and also what can you do to improve your finances next year. And after the introduction, we will introduce our very special guests. Hello and welcome. To the rvb chartered accountants and medics money christmas party podcast with your host Jenny stone katie singer dr tommy perkins and dr ed cantaloe so christmas mate it's here come around so fast Yeah, absolutely. christmas party time yep and yep. we've got if you're watching on youtube you'll see we've got two very special guests who are also appropriately festively dressed welcome to the party jenny and Katie from RBP Specialist Medical Accountants.
2: Hi there, Red. Hello.
0: Hello. (laughs) So good to see you guys. I think you've been working with Medics Money pretty much since the start. And we did that pensions webinar when we were kind of small. We weren't sure if doctors were interested in pensions. So we put it out and over a thousand people came live.
2: That's right, Tommy. That was a bit mad, wasn't it?
0: It was. (laughs) Hopefully today is not as mad as that, but we are going to talk about, well, like I said, how to save tax and a few tips like that about Christmas parties and stuff, but also predictions for the year ahead. So first of all, have you got any plans for your staff Christmas party?
3: So we have. We are taking all of our staff to Flight Club. don't know if you've heard of that. It's like an interactive darts bar. No? Oh, okay. It's super cool. Sounds... Basically, it's it's darts. But when you throw the dart at the board, it's computerized. So it's connected to a TV screen and it's cool and there's fun games you can play. Obviously, being accountants, we had to get something in there with numbers. So we're doing that, have some dinner and have a few drinks. What about you guys?
0: Well, I'm already asking why are we not doing that, mate? Because that sounds way better. Oh, yeah, that's mm. really good. It's because we live out in the sticks and we're not like London cool. Yeah. So... For our GP practice Christmas party, we are going to quite a nice hotel, the name of which I forget. And yeah. We were going to be going to Butlins,
1: which is quite big down in Bognor, but I think they scrapped that. So we're going to a likewise a hotel I and mean, they've hired a room just for us. So we can be ease.
0: Medic's money Christmas party. I mean, a lot of our staff work remotely, which makes it difficult, but as many staff as possible are going to be assembling very shortly for the medic's money Christmas party, where obviously we'll just talk about spreadsheets and stuff and nothing else. <laughs>
3: I'm still stuck on there being a Butlin's weekender. That yeah, that, that's what I decided
2: to think of. That sounds good. So
3: I'm sure you are aware, but just, you know, so everyone is, especially those listening who are, say, partners in GP practice. So for Christmas parties you host, we always say ensure that the value per person doesn't go over £150. If you keep within that limit of 150 it's completely tax deductible i.e. you can offset it against your income and so it reduces your taxable profits, which is what everybody always wants to do. And I should add that it's, as you mentioned, a staff Christmas party. Slightly controversially, therefore, any long-term locums really or locums shouldn't actually be there because they're not members of staff so I just thought i'd throw that out there because we are often asked and that is the truth
1: but can i ask katie so in terms of what about sort of parties for other years? so talk about christmas that 150 is that just for christmas or can you spread that out if you don't use <laughs> if you just use 75 pounds per person say for christmas can you see the rest of it the
2: yeah year? you can spread it out so that 150 so a lot of people might do like a summer barbecue and a christmas party so as long as the sort of total spend is the 150. And it's per head.
0: Boom. Like this is some Christmas party straight into the (laughs) tax saving tips and knowledge. All right. So that's for GP partners. But maybe if you had a limited company for your private practice as well, like or if you had a limited company like Medic's Money, give me good news. Is the budget for our Christmas party 150 per head?
2: Yeah, it still is 150. So remember, it's it's businesses, isn't it? And your employees. So, so yeah, you can hold a Christmas party for your employees' and medics' money and also invite their partners, their spouses to it as well because it's the 150 per
0: head. Awesome. Obviously, with Ed in charge, we already maximise everything and we've <laughs> <absolutely> <laughs> done that many times in the past. <laughs> yeah, okay. And so just to explain for those that aren't aware, when you say it's fully tax deductible, let's say I spend £100 or hundred, let's, oh, if you want to make the maths easy, let's do £100 per staff member. How much is that actually going to cost my company?
2: So it's actually going to cost you, oh, so your company or if you're a GP surgery. So, oh, that's
0: why I love you guys. It's just words. <laughs> so,
2: so I think if you're spending, say, £100, if you're self-employed and taking your employees out, then it's going to be whatever the top rate of tax is. So 40%, so it'll cost you 60%. Obviously, with your company, at the moment, its corporation tax rate is 19%. Then it's saving you the 19% because the £100 is an expense. So lots of people get really confused. They think, oh, yeah, I'm going to put it against tax and I'm going to save £100. But it's not. It's whatever the tax rate is you're paying.
0: Awesome. Good to clarify that. All right. Brilliant. And then there's something called trivial benefits as well. So. Can you tell us about this?
2: Yeah, and I was going to say, Toby, are you planning to give your staff any uh, trivia gifts or benefits? So what you can do, and, and we get asked this all the time, is you, you can do gifts of up to £50. Pounds. So it can be vouchers, it can be a hamper, bottle of wine, as long as the limit is at £50. Pounds. And it's not for, saying, rewarding the staff for their work. It's actually more a sort of a gift to say, happy Christmas, happy Diwali, happy birthday, happy Friday, whatever. It's got to be that it is not about rewarding service. So some of our clients sometimes say to us, oh Jenny, but we want to give £100. So I might say to them, well, spit it. Do £50 at Christmas for your happy Christmas and do £50 in the new year for your happy new year. Because you can give them as many times as you want throughout the year. There's not a limit. The only thing with a company is that there's a limit if it's a, what we call a close company. So i.e. probably people who've got just their one-man band company so it's just them as the director shareholder then there is a restriction of of how much you can give directors i think it's six is it six times a year katie 300 pounds yeah yeah 300 pounds yeah but it's got to be that it's not about thanking them for service it's all about celebration
0: awesome good info yeah i've just noticed katie's i'm guessing you don't wear a dress with sparkly stars on it i mean that looks lovely
3: thank you very much uh, i do like to dress fancy most of the time but i went to an extra extra effort today yeah. as soon as i was being super christmassy this as number yes this number sees me through halloween and christmas so it's pretty useful in the wardrobe
1: yeah <laughs> <Boom>. <laughs> <laughs>
3: i was gonna ask as soon as we're talking about gifts what is the best gift that a patient has ever given you obviously that's more for tommy
0: well, and Ed. And Ed. Ed has
3: patience. <laughs> oh, He's
0: not just an accountant. You <laughs> know, he does, does the both. Yes, you do both.
3: Right, so I'd scrap that. What is the best <laughs> gift that first, either mate. of you have been yeah.
1: given? Well, to be honest, the best gift I've been given is a bottle of wine, to be honest. Because, you know, that's uh, that's always good. But any gift is always welcome. So I've had I chocolates. I've had, I think, I don't think I had champagne before, but I've certainly it's a really nice wine. Uh, it's really good. So... But even just to like, thank you, notes know, it's really, really good. I really enjoy getting those. A bit of a poor answer, but. Uh... Yeah, definitely.
0: I think some of the best gifts that I've been given have actually from my patients when I've had children. So I've got three children now and lots of my patients love knitting. So I always get like amazing blankets and cardigans and amazing stuff like that. Although I think like one of my patients did it for the first child. 18 months later, second child. No, 18 months after that, the third child, they were just like, right, Dr. Perkins, <laughs> too much. And also, probably one of the best things that I got given as well was from, not a patient, but from Liz Densley, you know, from asthma, asthma, sorry, I always say that. When my first child was born, she made this amazing blanket, which we then continued to use for all three children. So, yeah, cheers, Liz, if you're listening. I think she's probably in Florida now.
3: I got a lovely gift from a client as well when my little baby was born. They're based in central London and she got me this little vest, you know, baby vest. And on the collar, it had that classic Peter Pan collar with little beefy guards, what they called? No, like the ones with the big fuzzy hats, those guards. And... I remember it being so lovely, and I kept it for my second born and put him in it, even though it was completely the wrong season. I was like, I will be wearing this again.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was so lovely. Yeah, we Is do that... get some nice gifts, don't we? I was going to say, we have been very lucky because I think, especially, like, I remember when I had my son, got loads of lovely presents from clients. Yeah, and a few at Christmas as well, don't we, Katie? Yeah, we get a couple. Like of you, Ed, bottle of wines or chocolate or biscuits, biscuits for the staff, we often get. <laughs> Always good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> What about, what's Santa going to bring I mean, have you written your list? Have you been naughty or nice? And if so, what is Santa going to bring you guys? What's
2: Santa going to bring me? I haven't written my list. I've been doing that with my little boy, so he's got his list ready. I said to Katie this morning, we were chatting about it. I said, actually, all I really want is a few more hours in the day, just so that I can get the work done and have more time with my family. So if Father Christmas can do that for me, that would be amazing. Yeah, I feel the same. And I was thinking as
3: well, it's totally practical gifts because we're so boring. We are accountants (laughs) at the end of the day. I'm cooking this Christmas and my gift would just be somebody else to do the washing up. That would just be lovely, wouldn't it? What a treat. It's funny, actually, you ask about gifts. And I, I was listening to something really interesting a few weeks ago about gifts. And I think it's probably a bit relevant for today. It's not the most upbeat of Christmas messages, but we're in a time at the moment where It's quite challenging. I think a lot of people are feeling the cost of living crisis. And I feel like more and more people are buying gifts for everybody. I mean, when I was growing up, we didn't really give gifts or get gifts from everybody we knew. But now there seems to be a bit more of a culture here that you'll buy lots of gifts for lots of people. And, you know, we do at work, we do a secret Santa. I think that's quite common. We do a low value secret Santa. But I think for anybody listening who might feel like, oh, gosh, I feel really under pressure to give and receive gifts. I was listening to the history of gift giving recently, and apparently it's all to do with wealthier and older members of the community would accumulate items throughout their life, as you would expect. And they would then gift these down to young members of the community. Often that would be on a special occasion, maybe a wedding. They might give them a dinner service, they might give them candlesticks, you know, sort of Items that can be then kept, looked after, and passed down and down and down. And say, for example, this Christmas, I said to Jenny, Oh, Jen, are we doing presents? And she goes, Oh, yeah, go on then. Let's set a limit. We're going to get each other a gift, I don't know, 30 quid. I'm going to buy Jenny something for 30 quid. I'm going to buy her a scarf and she's going to buy me, I don't know, a blouse for 30 quid. So I've ended up actually paying 30 pounds for a blouse that I probably didn't want. And I'd be much happier knowing that Jenny kept her 30 pounds and got to spend that on food this Christmas, on something that was more valuable for her and her family. So I think maybe we need to start opening up discussions about gifts and saying, maybe we don't have to buy so many, maybe just give to the children and not to the parents, etc. Us adults, who really needs gifts anymore? That's what I'd say.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely wise words and it's always important to remember as well that, you know, some people might really be struggling at Christmas and yeah, I think that's wise words and like me and my brothers have basically given up giving each other gifts and occasionally we go and watch cricket together in the summer and we just call that Christmas present, which is actually by personally, you know, I think the older I get, the more I appreciate experiences rather than things. So I definitely buy less things these days. Although I'm pretty happy with this Christmas jumper which was 4.50 at my local Stop charity it. shop supporting my That's local hospice. That's a pretty hospice. nice jumper. And <laughs> look at this bargain. bit. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm much more interested in time with friends and experiences. So I'm going to join Jenny. Like if Santa can make me more time, I'm buying.
3: Fine. 27 hour day. That's what we're striving towards. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Maybe. Just yeah. less yeah.
2: time at work and more time with the family and friends. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: It's only December, but is it too early to talk about New Year's resolutions?
2: Well, I don't make any New Year's resolutions in January. They're always the first of Feb because I can't stick to anything in January. So, New Year's resolutions. So, I think you said, did you say financial New Year's resolutions well, rather than so I my mean, New Year's resolutions? This is of- like
0: a financial podcast, but if you want to <laughs> let us delve deep into your personal life, then pull your boots. This could get, this could get great.
2: <laughs> so, if we're talking about financial, one of the things that I have been nagging Katie to do for the last three years is, and I've got to make sure she does it, is to get an IFA, so a financial advisor. So, it's one of the things that my senior partner told me when I started out, and it was one of the best decisions that I made. And I have been nagging Katie just so that from a financial retirement planning, making sure I'm screwing money away, it's been, yeah. So, This year, Katie, I'm going to make sure you actually do it. (laughs) Jenny always reminds me, because obviously we're dealing with you guys, doctors, day in,
3: day out. She always reminds me, Katie, we haven't got their great pensions. We need to look after our money. So she is right. And now with my two children, I really do need to think about the future. I'm sort of, I'm living for now, but she is right. She is right. So I do need to do that. What are my financial resolutions? So this is a classic case of do as I say and not as I do. So I'm always talking to GPs, especially sort of younger GPs in their training and learning about accounting and tax. Everyone always asks me like, oh, how do you save for your tax? What should I do? I always say, make sure you save, you put your 30%, we always recommend 30% aside each month for tax, make sure it's there, make sure you do your tax returns early. And then classic accountant comes on a podcast and confesses to everybody, I'm terrible at saving for my tax and I haven't done my tax return yet. And where are we? Well, we're recording this at the end of November and hopefully by the time it airs. There we go. There's my pre-New Year's resolution to do my tax return before this airs. There we go. How's that? Have you guys done your tax returns yet?
0: Well, <laughs> I, I know what Ed's going to say. So I'll go now. i I'm not an accountant. And so I have an accountant who does it for me. And it only took like I think I got to the third level of passive-aggressive emails about like, could you please submit your stuff, Dr. Perkins, so that we can complete your tax design. The third level of passive-aggressive is pretty punchy. I don't know. So hopefully my accountant submitted it. And well, I submitted it like two months before the deadline, which does that make me a good medium or bad client?
3: Medium, i Medium. medium. <laughs> medium. Totally Easy fine a medium. medium.
0: But Ed, you're going to share a shining example as an accountant. Have you submitted? Nope.
1: And <laughs> i just do it on the 30th. Maybe the 31st. I the, the, a bit also, geez, when he says 30th, he doesn't mean 30th of December. He means oh, no, January. 30th, 30th of 30th January. January. Yeah, right at the last minute. Absolutely.
3: You're keeping I, the revenue on their toes.
1: That's it, yeah, i got to, you know, we always eat them asking for more. That's the thing. So uh, I just, yeah, I just, I don't know, I should just do it sooner. I could do it in like June, but I instead I just wait until the last minute and then think, oh, no, I've got to do it. And then I have to do my dad's as well. So he gets um. pretty cross. I do a last minute, but. Well,
3: Although I'm sure on one of the podcasts I listened to recently, it was a tax-based one, of course, there was a statistic that something like the highest level of tax investigations are for individuals who submit their returns either on the 31st of January or late repeatedly. So come on, let's try and get it yeah. earlier. Let's try to do more Jan <laughs> next year. Keep ourselves yeah, out of that bracket. 15th of The
0: thing is, like... You submit your own and you are an accountant, so you can leave it last minute. But for the listeners, yeah, leaving it that late is absolutely ridiculously not a good idea. As I said, I submitted mine two months early to my accountant, which makes me a medium client. It just, just do it. There's pretty much not a good reason to do it early. And in some cases, this can be good to do it early, right? You were saying about if your income's going down, then you can. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. Yeah,
2: Yeah.
3: yeah. What you're getting at is, let's say your income goes down and you know it's gone down. If you can do your tax return, ideally before the end of July, you could potentially reduce your July payment on account for those listening who pay payments on account. You can reduce it. You can reduce it without getting your tax return formalized, but there is a risk that you might have interest to pay if you over-reduce it. Whereas if you've completed your tax return, and I'll be honest, You know, a couple of years ago, I'd say it was a lot easier to have lots of tax returns done by the 31st of July. And uh, obviously this is some slight criticism of how you guys are having to live at the moment is you're not being paid as efficiently as you were previously. So before accountants could easily work out what money was due to you, you know, at the end of March or in the end of April that hadn't come through yet by July. But now you're waiting for so much income late that it's getting harder and harder. I mean, for those of you in PCNs waiting for, say, network monies reconciliation, sometimes they trickle over into September, October, even as late as November. So it's much harder to finalize everything. But yeah, you could always get your personal bits into your accountant and then they just tack on the practice-based or the other side of it just so that everything's ready to go as soon as your formal accounts are finalized.
0: I love it. Like, Milks Money Christmas Pie is just jammed full of tax tips. So that's a great one. If your income's <laughs> gone down, for. get it in early, reduce your payments on account, increase your cash flow. Everyone's happy. And uh, on the flip
3: side, sorry to interrupt you, but on the flip side, if your mon- if your income has gone up significantly and you do your tax return early, say May, June, July time, you've got six months before you've got to pay those extra tax bills. If you do your tax return, like myself and Ed, right at the end of the period and then you find out, oh my gosh, I've got to find all this tax and you haven't been nice and efficient and saving it, you've got to scrabble around. And the taxman does not like people not paying their tax, doesn't really think there's many excuses for not paying it. So the earlier you do it, the longer you've got to know how much that tax to pay is going to be.
0: Yeah, it's supposed to be a joyful podcast and, you know, the season for joy. You mentioned PCSE, pensions and now tax, which is bringing the mood right down. So I'm going to bring the mood down even lower and remind (laughs) you that January for accountants is basically like Friday night in A&E for doctors, basically, right? (laughs) But for a whole month. Yeah,
1: absolutely. absolutely.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty horrendous for us, isn't it, Katie? Or sort of more so for the tax department that they literally work seven days a week round the clock to get all of those tax returns in. And it's always the same ones. It's always the same ones that leave it to the last minute. And yeah, so it is horrendous and very, very busy. And people always say the same thing.
3: Oh, it's only me. And they forget that it's them and the other. I'd say, this is a horrible statistic, but I'd say 70%. Do you reckon, Jenny, of our clients leave their tax returns till December? I not that, that many, is it? 60%. Oh, you'd be surprised it's, if you go yeah, through our numbers. Right. <laughs> we get bits of information, but actually to give everything, it is a shockingly large number that actually give us their return information as late as December. And then we've got obviously Christmas holidays. And then everything gets done in January.
2: I was going to say, the only thing I would say is the last two years, they extended the deadline, 31st of January to the 28th of Feb because of COVID. So we kind of had that dragged out to February. But just to also just say to the listeners is they're not extending it this year. So it is the 31st of January and that is the deadline.
1: Because to ask, do you have a cutoff date when which you take new clients? So, now, PwC, if someone wanted a tax return done, they came to us after, say, mid-December. We would definitely say just too busy at that point.
2: Do you know what? So we've never had a cut off day, which we always tend to take people on. But there is also a point if somebody hasn't even registered as self employed, they don't even have a tax reference. We can't even do the tax return. But I think to be honest, the last two weeks, probably before January, if you're contacting us, that's without being horrible, our existing clients are always going to take priority. So yeah, I mean we. When I ever talk to kind of new doctors and they're sort of getting it into the self assessment system, I'm always trying to train them to say, just do it early. There's so many benefits to getting your tax return early.
0: Not like Katie and Ed, basically.
2: No. <laughs> do as uh, I say, not
3: as I do.
0: <laughs> if 60% of your clients give you information in December, then I mean, I'm pretty unhappy that I was classified as a medium client. I think I gave it in November. So Still that's not good enough. Not good enough. Okay. All right. It is the season for giving, and one thing that we get asked about loads is gift aid. So, give me gift aid in a nutshell.
3: Yeah, so charitable donations are obviously a fantastic thing in themselves. And how it works is the government agree to give 25p in every pound you give over to the charity on top of what you've given. So if you give a hundred pound donation to a charity, it has to be a registered charity. And this will always be the case. You'll always see there's a charity number. I always say to individuals, make sure you keep a note whenever you give a charitable donation, because it, you, know, you need to put the references on your tax returns. If you give a hundred pound donation to a charity, they will receive 125 pounds because that's obviously 25% grossed up on top. And when you do your tax return, you declare that you've, given a hundred pound donation, you also declare that you've selected gift aid. And then when the return is calculated, you get to extend your basic rate tax band, i.e. the tax you pay at 20% is increased. So if you've given a hundred pound donation, instead of paying basic tax, I don't know, 37,500 at 20%, you add on 125 pounds to that. So you're essentially paying more tax at 20% and less tax at 40 or even 45% if you're an extra rate taxpayer. So definitely keep a log of them. And also, I know places like Just Giving and the other online charitable websites. Normally, if you go on them, you can select dates and you can just print it out and hand it to your accountant. So it's really straightforward if you give
2: multiple donations throughout the year. And the only other thing I was gonna add is the other good thing about the gift day donations is we talk about if you earn over a hundred thousand and you start to lose your personal allowance. Actually, if you do a gift day donation, it will actually bring that allowance down. So, you know, we also say not only is the charity getting money back, you're getting tax relief, but also it may help you to keep your personal allowance. And the other thing that HMRC introduced, I can't remember how long ago it was. Is you can do this carry back of gift day donations. So I'm sorry, I'm getting a bit technical on a Christmas party. But basically, if let's say you're doing your tax return for 2122, and let's say you've done it in June because you've been really organized and your taxable income was 101,000, what you could do if you wanted is to make a donation there in June 22 for a thousand pounds. And then you could choose to carry it back to your 2122 tax return which means for personal allowance purposes, your taxable income would be 100000 So not only would you get the high rate tax back on that donation, you actually get to keep sort of your personal allowance that you would have otherwise lost. So there are, you know, it's slightly complicated in that if you're doing carry back, you can't have submitted the tax return that you want to carry it back to. So another reason for getting that tax return done early in case you want to do any planning And like Katie says, always make sure you're ticking the gift aid. So I literally had a client call me today and she said, normally I do gift aid donations, but she's been donating to support some people. And I said, but if it's not gift aid, they're not registered, then you can't actually claim it on your tax return.
1: So I can ask you a couple of questions on that, guys. First of all, do companies, do they get gift aid? So if a company made a charitable donation, is there any gift aid equivalent for them or is it just tax deductible? How does it work for companies? No. I don't think they do. No, I don't think they do. I, I don't think they do. Because it, oh, it. it is individual.
2: It is very much an individual's making the donation. So I don't think if a company made a donation... It just come off your
1: taxable actually... profits, right? Yeah, I imagine just, yeah. yeah,
2: it just goes in as the cost, yeah. it just goes in as the
3: donation. It's not grossed up because when you tick the gift aid box, there's three questions, so I can't remember them off by heart, but one of them does explicitly say, I am an individual making this donation. Yes. Yes. If it says on behalf of a company, I don't think you can gift aid it. So, okay. pretty sure,
1: perfect. So, that's my understanding as well. it's just come into my head. And the other thing was, yeah, imagine you're just a plum basic rate taxpayer, so you can't increase your. You know, the basic rate and no need to do that. It's still worthwhile saying you, you know, you're a UK taxpayer because the government will still get the money. Is that right?
2: Yeah, definitely. So although if you're basic rate, you're not getting any more relief on your tax return, but you've got to tick the gift aid box for them to be able to recover the 25%. So, yeah, absolutely. Even if you think you're not a high rate taxpayer, always tick gift aid. As long as you're paying tax, then yes.
0: Wow. It didn't take long for the Medics Money joint RVP Christmas party to get way too technical. It's like you read my mind, Jenny, because when uh, when uh, Katie was talking about gift aid, I wrote adjusted net income, a hundred thousand pound thing on a piece of paper, but you've handled that. So, but we should have played bingo. Like uh, if you could get words in there, adjusted mm-hmm. net income, that must be like high to get that in. But that's effectively what you're talking about there, Katie, isn't it? That gift aid can reduce your adjusted net income, which means that you can get back under that Loss of childcare. We got a lot of podcasts on that. We also got one on the marginal rate as well, which is basically what we're skirting around. Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Um, Yeah, that was great technical chat. Uh, I had a Christmas party for sure. So going into 2023, if you listen to our autumn statement podcast, which I'm sure you did, you will know that it is incredibly challenging. Jeremy Hunt has increased taxes across the board. So what's your tips? What can you do to help?
3: So one thing I always say to everybody is keep a record of all of your expenses. Even if you're not sure if they're going to be tax deductible, tax allowable, your accountant will know. So we always send out a form and I'm sure you too, you, you've got lists, etc. your own accountants give you you know, a summary of expenses that you usually would be claimed for. Always put everything down. Don't skirt around going, oh, I can't be bothered to pull out my phone bills or my, you know, my mobile bills, my home internet costs do because they're going to go on your tax return and they're going to reduce your taxable income. So you may as well do it. The second one, and this is a personal one that I always do is what's the best thing in life, getting something for free, right? So I've always got a credit card that gives me something back. So you can get credit cards out there that give you cash back. There's credit cards for your favorite store. So I don't want to get in trouble with the wrong advertising. But for example, if you like to do your weekly shop at Marks & Spencers or you buy all your clothing from Marks & Spencers, get a credit card from them because you're going to accumulate points that you can then use off in store. I personally play the air miles game. You know, so I have a credit card that accumulates me air miles, and my husband and I make the decision that we would put every single expense we have in our household through that. Our food shop goes through there, our Sky Bill goes through there, everything. So we do rack up, because we like to buy lots of food, we do rack up quite high air miles, and then we can use those for future holidays. And you know, we feel like we're getting a benefit from it. So if you're gonna be using a credit card anyway, although I would say please ensure you don't overspend and please try and pay off your credit card at the
2: end of each month because that is obviously responsible advice. Yeah, tips? and I think I was, we were chatting, weren't we? Because I think the reality of it is, is everybody's going to have less income, less disposable income all around. So it is, we're all trying to keep an eye on, you know, our costs and so on. So a couple of things that I was chatting to Katie about is my husband and I set setting ourselves a challenge of having a no spend weekend. So one weekend a month, to actually try and not spend any money. So try doing, you know, instead of taking our son out and doing things and going out for dinner, just do kind of, you know, going back to a bit like we did in COVID, you know, going for walks, going, doing movie nights, playing board games, having one weekend where you don't spend any money just because I think everybody's disposable income is going to be less. You know, that is, you know, whether you're going to be paying more tax or as GP partners earning less, I think everybody's going to have less disposable income. And a couple of the other things that I get really annoyed about is when you've got insurances on auto-renewal and you're just auto-renewing and you're too busy with your work, you're stressed out to actually spend the 10 minutes or so to look around and change kind of your insurances because I think that is... Yeah, and it's amazing how many people you talk to that still just go, Oh, yeah, I've been with my insurance company for years. So, yeah, they were just a couple of different tips, not sort of tax tips, but slightly different ones.
3: My dad is the king of money saving. So, I asked him last night, I said, Oh, have you got any idea? You know, got any top tips for the future? And he said, Well, you know, heating's going up. You need to buy some jumpers. And I laughed. And then I thought, Actually, that's not a bad shout because one thing I'm asked a lot, especially when I go to practices, is what are we are going to do about the cost of our heating and lighting going up? So we are aware that the government have said that GP practices will be given some kind of compensation slash credit slash we don't know how it's going to work yet. I'm sure they haven't worked it out either. But what you could do is you could, and it's tax deductible because it would be classed as uniform, is purchase fleeces or, you know, thick jumpers for your staff as long as they've got you know, your practice logo on and they say, you know, the surgery on them, they would be classed as uniform. And then you'll have lovely, warm, toasty staff. You don't have to have your heating cranked up high. Well, I mean, you're still going to have your heating up. But hopefully that is just one little money saving tip that could be used.
0: Love it. Great tips. I think, you know, spending less is always good. Getting paid to spend money using a reward card. Great tips. And I mean, you could buy your staff jumpers like the ones me and Ed are wearing. And (laughs) I'm really warm. Um, (laughs) I think it's a little Rudolph nose, but it's especially warm. Yeah, I think that's really great tips.
2: So uh, just sort of, I suppose, getting off of the subject of Christmas, really, but I know, Ed, obviously, you started out as an accountant, a tax advisor, and then decided to change your career and become a GP. Given how sort of doctors are feeling at the moment, overworked and completely stressed out, would you still choose to be a doctor? Would you still choose that medical path?
1: Yeah, I, I think absolutely I would, it is challenging, probably more challenging than I actually expected if I'm honest, but despite all that, I still, am very happy I've changed and I still do love being a GP and being a doctor. It makes me, makes me happier, but you know, as I said, being an accountant is great and also has its challenges like January being one coming up scene for you guys, but yeah, I am glad that I made that switch. By the time I, I think I've told you guys or told people before, you know, it all kind of kicked off, I had a bit of an accident. I ended up, you know, looking into this new career change and I was meant to be finding out in. February time of that year, if I got into medical school or not, and just for whatever reason, you know, February went past, March went past, April went past, and I hadn't heard anything, so I'd kind of given up by that point, and my job was going really, really well, and then finally I got a message from UCAS saying, your, you know, it's, your UCAS has changed, got an offer, and it was from King's, and at the point I thought, oh, my, you know, being an accountant is actually a really good job, and it's actually, I'm really, you know, enjoying it now, but yeah, I thought I've got to go for it, and I, yeah, I don't regret that at all.
0: Didn't you say that your manager at PwC called you in to like offer you a promotion and then you simultaneously decided to tell them
1: that you were leaving and going to medical school? Well, he said, he basically said, I didn't know, I went around. He said to me, we we're going to make, we we're going to offer you a promotion when I told him I'd, I'm going to medical school. And then he just, uh, but he was really kind. He, you know, he managed to, I think, you know, at that point it wasn't big, but it's still nice. We were about to get a bonus. I think it's about it 750 pounds. Right? But if you left before that, the payment date, then you couldn't get it, which I would have done, but he just he made sure that I, I got that still. I could pay for medical school with it. It's oh, that's really, really nice. nice. Yeah. And then he said, I'll I'll see you for my heart surgery in 2018. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, no regrets. It'd weird if the GP something. was
0: doing his well, yeah, uh, yeah, heart surgery. Yeah. <laughs> he, he'd be very big trouble if I was doing <laughs> Things are bad <laughs> in the NHS, but <laughs> that bad. Uh, thanks to all the heart surgeons listening for what you do. Uh, the answer is the same for me, but to expand on that, You know, until recently, the only other jobs apart from being a doctor that I'd had were like ones I did to pay my way through medical school. So I spent hours standing on a pool watching people swim as a lifeguard, worked in bars, worked in restaurants. So not great jobs to compare to. But yeah, medicine is still the best job I've ever had. I mean, basically, we get paid to help people and make them better. But I think we have to acknowledge that working in the NHS, you know, and people will be listening to this podcast on their way to work in the NHS right now over the festive period. So thank you so much for what you do. You know, we couldn't, you know, the country would not run without what you do and what we do. So so thank you so much for that. But yeah, I think I get paid to help people make them better. So it's still the best job I've ever had. But the main problems are the workload is totally out of control. I think the, some sections of the media are vilifying the NHS. The political agenda is toxic. But if I ever quit medicine, uh, and some of my patients listen to this, so I'm definitely not. But if I do, it won't be because of the workload. It won't be because of the vilification in the media. It won't be because of pay or pensions. It'll be because I no longer feel that I'm able to do what I train to do, which is to use my skills and those of my team, because it's a team game, to give my patients the best care I can. And... Until recently, I was very, very confident that the NHS would allow me to do that. I don't know. I don't want to drag it down a bit, but I do think it's getting some crazy things are happening. The NHS is in danger and, you know, we need to acknowledge that. So, yeah, I just want to have an environment where I can use my skills to do the very best I can for the patients in front of me. And I still believe the NHS is that, but it's getting marginal, I'm afraid to say, in certain cases. On that happy note.
3: (laughs) I will say, though, it's so nice to hear you both say so passionately that you would continue to be doctors. Yeah, absolutely. I speak to lots of doctors going through their training now. And I think, I hope you guys are going to be doctors, you know, like they're doing medicine at university or wherever they're studying. And I think I really hope you go into general practice or, you know, even just any form of medicine through the NHS, because, you know, it's something that We need so desperately and hearing you guys talk so passionately about it, you don't tend to hear accountants talk so passionately about Mm -hmm. their jobs. So it's really, really refreshing to hear. So that's the comment I wanted to make. And I
2: always remember it was about 20 years ago, just as I sort of really had started out as an accountant, my sister had a really serious car accident and got airlifted to a London hospital and i remember there and then going all these amazing doctors and nurses that are helping my sister and i remember saying saying i don't help anybody in the way that doctors do so yeah absolutely i mean we obviously we do a little bit of help for our clients but not in the same level that doctors do
0: we need you guys to help us so that so don't be like that but so uh, yeah i mean I, you know i still find it incredibly rewarding to do it you know and you know i guess medics money has given me an alternative, you know, running a business and everything and doing this. And we absolutely love doing this. And I suppose in a way, we kind of have the choice and we have chosen. Me and Ed still both work as doctors. Admittedly, I'm doing much less medicine now than when Medic's Money started. And actually, that makes me feel a bit sad because I have a specialist interest in dermatology and I dropped that so that we could focus on growing Medic's Money. And I don't regret that, but I really miss doing my dermatology. So. Sometimes when you try something else, it gives you a fresh perspective on it. But Well, when we get those
3: extra three hours in our day that we've requested for Christmas, <laughs> you'll have time to do your dermatology.
0: Easy. No problem. Yeah. <laughs>
3: oh, so hopefully I'm not going to end this on too bleak a question, but I thought I would ask you what you thought might be happening in general practice and what we might expect to see over the next year to five years.
0: Wow. I thought Ed's question about companies... Getting gift aid was going to be the hardest question of the podcast, but you've saved the absolute hardest one to last there. I might broaden it out a bit because not just GPs listening to this, all doctors listening to it. So I kind of alluded to the challenges facing the NHS. And, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of industrial unrest coming forward. The nurses are already planning strike. Junior doctors bouncing on strikes as well. So I think there's a few things to say here. So This is a really difficult question, but at the moment I feel in GP, The challenge is access, affordability, and quality, right? Pick two, yeah? You can have access and affordability, but you cannot have quality. You can have affordability, i.e. more money, and quality, you know. So affordability, access, quality, pick two. That is a really big challenge. And honestly, like, that's the worst part of the job for me right now is just saying no to patients because we just don't have the capacity. It's not what I joined us for. It's not what I trained for. I think, you know, the wider public need to realize what the situation is out there. So for the NHS in general, I think that is the challenge. Specific to GP practices, what I thought is when someone asks you a question, you don't really know the answer, you just say, I'm going to throw this out to the floor. So first one I thought is in the future, for general practice, there will be larger practices. So I think smaller practices, which is a great shame, and I'm an advocate of small practices, but I think their days are numbered. But What do you guys think? A trend towards larger practices or not?
3: Yeah, I think think... so. I mean, the political overview, I guess, but in a way you could argue, is that what PCNs were all about? Were you, are you encouraged to be part of these groups because eventually you're going to become a merged PCN practice? I mean, I don't have knowledge of it. I don't know, but this is the direction we're going and Jenny herself has lots of experience of practice mergers and
2: merged practices. Yeah and I was going to say we went through a phase where we've seen lots of GP practices merge but I still think and I agree with you Tommy I think this is the is better but actually small practices run really well you know you're seeing the same doctor and so on but I think what's really difficult sometimes is actually doctors working together So, you know, we see that even in PCNs, that PCNs are sort of breaking up. So I think, yeah, I do agree. And I think what we're seeing, aren't we, Katie, is lots of doctors just leaving the profession or leaving the NHS and going in to do private or being kind of, you know, leaving as an NHS GP and becoming a private GP. So, you know, and that's really sad to see. So, yeah. And a lot of the time, like you say, the smaller
3: practices are... Going into larger ones, merging into or even just closing because there's no succession, you know, because this sort of trend to being a GP partner has seemed to have waned in the last few years, which is, again, really sad. Which is why I said earlier, when I go to, you know, VTS workshops and things like that, I'm always trying to be so pro. Come on, guys, you know, partnership. You really want to carry We need to carry on. Otherwise, if nobody wants to go in and do it, there isn't going to be anybody to take over these practices, even the larger ones. There still needs to be GPs to go into them. So, yeah, I think you're right. That is the way it's going to travel, that practices are going to get bigger.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think there will be less partners as well. I agree with you there. I think it's just a direction of travel. You know, I still believe that the right partnership is a great option for patients. Definitely. It's a great option for the NHS. And I'm going to give an example of that in a minute. And it's also a great option for Partners, you know, I am a GP partner and I love it because I get to help people make them better. But also if I see something that's going on, that's just seemed to make no sense. Our organization is nimble enough that I can fix it. I can spin up a fix in a week or two, sometimes longer when I'm negotiating with my partners. (laughs) You know, it's part of the game. But I think, you know, the government consistently undervalue GP partners. And I just want to talk about a statistic. So you remember back to the COVID vaccination program. And GPs administered the vast majority of COVID vaccinations in this country. I should say GPs, I mean our team. Okay, because it's not it's not ours. I mean I gave a few, but I was just so <laughs> slow and they were just like, Oh, Dr. Perkins, can you go and just sort of stand in the corner while we actually get on with the work? So GPs did the majority of the COVID vaccinations and the National Audit Office looked at this. Okay, so end of October twenty-one. GPs had given over 71% of all doses of COVID vaccination and the NHS only expected us to do 56% because they consistently underestimate us. Okay. But this is where it gets interesting because the cost of delivering each dose of vaccine via GPs or the community pharmacists who helped us out, thanks for that guys, was a third less than through those much hyped and always-on-TV mass vaccination center. So it cost a third less for your GP to do your COVID vaccine than it did the mass vaccination center. So again, the government has completely underestimated. They're like, oh, GP is probably going to do half of them and the massive vaccination centers would do the most of it, but they didn't. And the mass vaccination center costs more. So that there is the strength of the partnership model. Once you lose that, Well, we kind of have a little glimpse into what happens when you lose that, because another one I wanted to get your opinion on the future of GP is big corporates. So I'm not going to name names because their lawyers are good, but let's just say big corporates will run most GP surgeries in the future. Do you think true or false?
2: I think, I really hope not, because I think, and I totally agree with you, Tommy, that the government underestimate the efficiency of general practice. So when I started, I became a partner, I've been a partner for nearly 20 years. So when I started, I gave a talk and I remember this GP standing up going, in five years, we'll all be employed. But actually, if suddenly every single GP was employed by one of these big corporate organizations, you're going to just do the hours that you're paid to do. And therefore, it would cost an awful lot more to run general practice because I think, you know yourself, Tommy, as a partner, you know, you do an awful lot more extra. So, yeah, I think to myself, you know, how long? I do think general practice is changing because people don't want to, you know, even one of our partners here, her daughter's doing medical school and she said, don't become a GP, you know, specialise in something else. So, yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are, Katie.
3: I've had experience, not so much a very large organization, but a practice that I deal with. They were effectively taken over by a private entity for a short period of time. And during this short period of time, there was no profit generated. I mean, it was, there was a profit. It was nothing. It was like 2000 pounds. And the entity were very disappointed because the partner that was working there previously, it was was a single-handed practice had a relative amount of money, you know, a reasonable profit share. But that's because that individual was working in the practice. They were the GP there. They were managing their staff. They were making sure they didn't over-clinician or however they needed to do to run the practice efficiently and cost-effective. When the private provider came in, they just stuck in a load of individuals, paid them, and didn't think about the consequences that the person that they were replacing wasn't there anymore. And so there was no value in it. And they quickly handed it back and it got taken back over by, yeah, it was caretaken and taken over by another practice. And now it's still up and running as it was before. And I was really, I felt quite vindicated when I knew that they hadn't achieved what they'd set out to, which was kind of make a load of money off the back of NHS general practice. I thought, no, you're not going to. The only value in it is if it's, like you said, Tommy, if you're in partnership, your practice is your baby. You care about your patience of course but you also care about your partners and you work together and you support each other and that's okay it's a very nice way of being but it is business but it's a nice way of being in business so I do hope the partnership model stays and that it doesn't turn into a horrible corporate nightmare but I'm an optimist so let's hope it stays that way
0: yeah this might come back to haunt me in the future but I don't think it will there's too many examples of big corporates getting massively burned I'm not gonna name them because they got good lawyers but I'm looking at Matt remember Matt the app? in the jungle right now, his favorite private healthcare company has lost 95% of their share value this year. And they've handed back NHS contracts left, right and center because they just could not make them work. And they are also cherry picking the most profitable patients. So yeah, I just don't think it will happen, but maybe that is naive. And I think the thing to remember here is that medicine has been a vocation for centuries. And if And I really hope it doesn't. But if the NHS, you know, no longer exists, doctors, nurses will be absolutely fine. In fact, you could argue be better off. But the patients is what I really worry about, you know, in all of this. And that's, as I said, if I leave medicine, it won't be because of any other reasons. It will just be because I'm no longer satisfied with the care that the system allows me Mm. to give. But thankfully, we are a long way from that. Well, a longish way. From that, it might be time to wrap up this Christmas party before we get too philosophical. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on, Katie and Jenny. It was so good to see you. And I wanted to mention your podcast because we quite like podcasts, as you might have noticed. And you have launched your own podcast. Tell us about it and where can we find it?
3: We have. We have launched a podcast called Accountancy on Prescription. We' extremely proud of that name, as you can <laughs> imagine, being <laughs> medical specialist accounted. I believe you can listen to it on all listening platforms. I think we've released about 10 or, 15, 10 or 12 episodes yeah, so far. Yeah, we're doing
2: them fortnightly because we've still got to do the day job. But yeah, certainly clients, of so the feedback have had is that they love it. They love, you know, a client said to me the other day, oh, it's great. I listen to it while I'm walking the dog or cooking dinner. So yeah, no, it's great.
0: Yeah, I love it. I've listened to a few episodes and I love it. I just think it's a great way, like, you know, we love podcasts because we can fit it in around our busy lives and as I said earlier, no doubt some people listening to this are on their way to work in the NHS right now. So finally, for all of our listeners, thank you so much for listening to our podcast this year. We literally couldn't do it without you. The podcast has grown massively this year. I won't bore you with numbers. But just wanted to say thank you for everything that you do in the NHS, in your job, whether you're doctor, nurse, physio, pharmacist, porter, administration, manager. Managers in the NHS are being harangued in the media now just for a change. But thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you for keeping us and our family safe this Christmas. I hope that you do get some time off with your own family this Christmas if you are working. And yeah, thanks so much for listening.